welcome to the Brodacious Book Club, the podcast where we host a book club. And I haven't read the book. This podcast is for people who don't have time to read, but still want to know what's up in the world of fiction. I'm your host, Aaron Rockford, and with me is my good, good bro, Matt Thomas. Hi there. Basically, we wanted to make this podcast because there's lots of people out there who want to be aware of what's happening in the book world, but don't necessarily have the time to read or the energy to read. And, you know, you go to download an audiobook and it's like 20 hours long. And honestly, who has time for that? The idea is that you can understand the books that we describe based on the podcast. Based on our fulsome analysis with a couple of humorous uh, outtakes here and there. So basically what's going to happen is I'm going to summarize the book and we're going to chat about it as it's happening and uh, have a little bit of a discussion about it as well. For That's right. those book nerds That's out there. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm going to ask questions and if I know what's up by the end of this then you've done your job, Aaron. Thanks, Matt. Just as a bit of a disclaimer, podcast is meant for entertainment, and we're not trying to disrespect the authors or the books involved, and we, we encourage people to read the books themselves, support authors. We're not professional critics, we're just two a-holes who think we're funny. That's exactly right. Also, maybe obviously, spoilers for anything in the books that we're talking about. If you have intentions of reading this book, maybe don't listen to this episode, which is not a rousing endorsement of listening to the <laughs> podcast. That's right. But but here's the thing. We're going to try to walk the line. We're going to try to give you an overview, fill you in, but not... Yeah, you can still, you can still get some enjoyment out of reading the book, I think, and I, I do encourage that. With that, I guess I'll take it away. So Aaron, me, as the uninformed one who has not read the book, I don't even know what book we're reviewing today. So why don't you, why don't you start off there? What are we reading today, Aaron? So today we are reading The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Okay, okay. Go ahead, tell me a little bit more. It's a fantasy novel. This podcast will probably focus a little bit on speculative fiction, just mm. because that's what I like to read. The Name of the Wind is, is breaking a couple of the things I want to focus on, which is I, I do want to look at things that are a little bit more recent. Uh, and The Name of the Wind was published over a decade ago. I think it came out in 2009. Okay. But I, I think it's one of those books that people either have read or have decided they are never going to get to read. So it felt like a safe choice for this first one. Right, right. Okay, so I, I understand it's rather long. Do you have yes. an approximate page count? So, yeah. So on my e-reader, it was uh, over 700 pages. I think it was 720. I see. So maybe not something so accessible to your average reader, but something that we can try to make accessible. Exactly. Through our work here. Outstanding. Exactly. Okay. Okay, so, so I understand it's fantasy. What, what kind of fantasy are we talking here? Paint me a word picture. What's, what's our setting? <laughs> it's second world fantasy, so it's your, your Lord of the Rings, your Game of Thrones. Right. There's magic, there's alternative religion systems, there's swords, sorcery, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. This is actually the first in a trilogy, which is somewhat famously unfinished. Again, the, the comparison to Game of Thrones is not what I make lightly. The Name of the Wind is the first book. The second book is called The Wise Man's Fear. It came out, I believe, in 2011. Right. There has been no third book. I, I saw a rumor recently that it may come out this year. I, I guess we'll see. I was going to say, from uh, over a decade ago to, to the time when the second book came out, that's a large gap. It is. It is. Like I said, it is not dissimilar to yeah, the, no kidding. the weight <laughs> on... What's what's Martin's next book going to be called? Winds of Winter? Yes. Yes. Because yes. right. I, I think that A Dance with Dragons also came out in 2011. Right. Okay. Now, who are our characters? Who's the wise old man? Who's the wayward adventurer? <laughs> what are we looking at? This book takes place over two time periods. And we're, we're following the same character more or less throughout both. His name is Kvoth, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. <laughs> I mean, it's a fantasy name, right? Yeah. So <laughs> He's the main character. He is kind of the narrator. Again, we'll get into this more so. It's kind of a coming-of-age story within, right. within okay. the fantasy genre, and we're going to see those kinds of themes popping up. Outstanding. All right. And I guess uh, this is the perfect segue into the actual story. My yeah. next question is going to be, what's our arc? What's the yeah. challenge? What's the story all well, about? you'll have to find out. That might actually be a source of discussion after we have covered the book. So, okay. Yeah, I guess with that, we will, well, I will start to try and summarize this, this monster. Tell me all about it. The book opens on the Waystone Inn, which is an inn in a small town in right. Fantasyville. Right, as you um, do. And there is a mysterious innkeeper. Mm -hmm. And the inn is very quiet, and we are informed that part of the quiet is from this innkeeper who is he has the quiet of a man waiting to die. That's that's our intro. What a setup. What yeah. a setup. Okay. S spoiler alert, the man is Kavoth. <laughs> I see. Okay, okay. Uh, so, so, so our main character is a... 
Is he an old man? I sorry to interrupt him. That's just... okay. We actually we're gonna we're gonna get back to that. That seems like a pretty black and white <laughs> question, but okay, uh, we can circle um, back. He he has bright red hair. Is the other thing we learn about him right. in the in the prologue. Key um, key. Yes. So we we zoom in also to some patrons who are having a very plot relevant discussion. Mm. They they're discussing a, a legend of Taberlin the Great, mm. who knew how to call on the name of the wind. So we have a, a title drop I see. right very here nice. in the first right chapter. Right there in the beginning. Yep. Okay. Which is a way of magic, like the naming of things, which mm. I don't think is an uncommon theme in lots sure. of fantasy stuff. Sure, sure, sure. They also mention something called the Chandrian or the, the Chandrian. Again, we're, we're just going to have me stumbling <laughs> over these fantasy names the whole time. That's I'm very sorry to Mr. Rothfuss. Um, <laughs> the, the Chandrian are basically demons. Okay. We're going to learn more about them later, but we get... A little name drop right okay. there at the beginning. So then another villager comes in, and he's all bloody, and people are like, man, you, you gotta be more careful, what you doing? At which point he's like, I was attacked. And he pulls out this enormous spider, mm. which is dead. Right. And he says that this is what attacked him. They start throwing around names like um, Scrailing, which is also, from what I gather, a type of demon. Okay. Demon spider? Is that the, the name the spider. of the... Okay, yes, yeah, yeah. it is a Scrailing. It's not just like a normal spider, it's... Like, a special spider. Yeah, it's a special spider. I was <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if they describe exactly how big it is. It's small enough that he was able to carry it, but also right. would be concerning as a spider. <laughs> so see. we're talking wolf spider. We're talking yeah, Australian spiders here. We're talking at here. least Australian spider size, okay. yes. The the innkeeper, who is going by the name Coat, but he's Kavoth, he has an apprentice whose name is Bast. Okay. Um, Bast calls him Master. Mm. And it's not kinky. Well, it's a little kinky. It's a little bit kinky. It's a little bit kinky. <laughs> kind of inherently, right? <laughs> yeah. They they have a little bit of a talk once the common folk are gone sure. about the scralings. Right. And they they talk about how they're like, okay, there's one here. Are there more of them? Mm-hmm. And how three or four of them would destroy the town, which is a little bit wild because we have just learned that one was killed by this guy basically kicking it to death. Right. This, this wayward adventure who happened on a large yeah. That doesn't build it up as a huge suspenseful enemy, but that's okay. It's fine. There's there's also some general world building, you know, fantasy stuff about As you do. Things kinda suck, roads are dangerous, Mm. you know how it goes in these fantasy worlds. We then switch to somebody called the Chronicler. Mm. Uh, the Chronicler has a name I didn't write it down. He's referred to as the Chronicler throughout, um, but he does have, like, an actual legal hmm. name. Okay, now what's um, his role? Is he kind so, of a magician? or No, he's just a storyteller, or gotcha. a, a story recorder, perhaps. Like a historian? A yeah, he's a historian. Hence the name. Exactly. Okay. And he's traveling, he gets robbed by some ex-soldiers, and he's also maybe being stalked by something in the woods. We're still in, like, the opening crawl of, of this novel. 700 pages. It's 700 pages. We don't get to the main story until we are a good 75 to 100 pages into this novel. Right. Anyway, so there's some general stuff about how, you know, Coat used to be someone before he was an innkeeper, and it's all very, like, who was he? He's Kavoth. (laughs) Again, thank (laughs) you. You're welcome. There's some more, you know, talk about the Chandrian, Bast helps him knock this guy out who recognizes him hmm. as Kavoth the Bloodless. Interesting. Nice. Yeah, that's um, something to explore. That comes back later. I um, bet it it's, does. It's I one bet of it the does. few things that does actually come back later, but oh. we'll get to that. Okay. We snap back to Chronicler, who is in the dark. He sees a fire. He goes to it, and Coat is there. He's out hunting demons. As you do. Um, Chronicler gets knocked out, but Coat does kill the rest of the Skrylings. He brings the Chronicler back to the inn to recover. Hmm. There's also this kind of hilarious exchange where he and Bast argue like an old married couple because he, I guess, snuck out in the middle of the night and Bast is not happy with him for Mm. doing that. And he also left a note that said, if you're reading this, I'm probably dead, Ah. which is pretty funny given that he is... He's fine. Right. The the demons did not really pose that much of a challenge for right, him. Right, right. So then Chronicler wakes up. He's like, hey, I know who you are. You're Kavoth. And I actually came here partially because I heard you were in the neighborhood and I want to get your story. And Kavoth's story is the story of... Yes. Okay. The Kavoth story is what we are eventually going to get into. We're 61 pages in at this moment, well, at least according to my e-reader. You know, every good story needs a good prologue. Yeah, it, <laughs> it sure does. 60 pages of it. Kvothe is originally like, no, I don't want to give you my story. Right. I'm not into it. 
but eventually gives into it. And he, he says, you know, I will tell you, but I'm going to need three days, which I coincidentally are going to divide into the three novels that ah. maybe someday this series will mm. entail. Okay. There's some stuff about how, you know, oh, he's a legend and um, they call him the King Killer, um, which is the name of the trilogy. Forgot to mention that up at the up top. At the- There's also a line that... Chronicler thinks to himself of, this is the face of a man who has killed an angel, which is a wild thing to think about someone off the cuff. It's also a reference to something that doesn't happen in this novel, so... Hmm. I see what you mean by making reference to things that are not explained later yeah. on. Confession that I have not read The Wise Man's Fear, right. so we will not be referring to that at all. I'm just going to talk about the things that happen in this novel. Sure. At this point, I want to pause for a second and ask you, how old do you think Kavoth is, based on what has happened? Well, you know, that's what I was wondering. If he's lived this great and fantastical life, and yet it's also a coming-of-age story, but I guess he's kind of hearkening back, I don't know, maybe old man age. He seems like kind of the the wise old man (laughs) trope, no? You'd, You'd think so, or at least think that he's at least middle-aged, maybe. Matured, precisely. Yeah, Yeah. no, he's like 25. Right. Okay. (laughs) Which, I just want you to keep that in mind. Sure. Both that all of the things they're talking about happen within a relatively short period of Mm. time, and also that this dude is like 25 years old. I see. Okay. That'll help contextualize some of the stuff, I'm sure, because a 25-year-old retailing his adventures is a lot different than a 50-year-old retailing his adventures. Yeah, it sure is. Kavoth says, kind of jokingly, let's assume I am the center of creation and the only tale of real importance. You know, again, it's, it's funny that you should say that because when you mentioned he was a 25-year-old who wanted to talk about his life story and all his grand adventures, I thought to myself, that's a little arrogant. Yeah. That's a little arrogant. So yeah. I'm curious to see where this goes. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's a good place to be at. Right. So it, it switches into first person. There's this kind of odd bit of narration where he talks about all the different names he's been given over Mm. the course of his life, and he describes all of the, or like mentions vaguely all these very exciting things that he's done. Almost none of them come up in this novel. He puts next to each other that he has talked to gods and also loved women. As you do. Yeah, which I think is a very funny juxtaposition. Again, talked to gods, not in this book. Loved women. If he means that in like an emotional way, Mm. then yes, that does happen. If he means that in a physical way, it does not. I see. Okay. <laughs> so again, a 25-year-old talking up his uh, his achievements. Yep. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Gotcha. And then he ends this, this speech with the line, you may have heard of me. Right. Which, yeah, Kavoth, he came here to talk to you. <laughs> he right. has heard of right, you. Right, right. We know this. I I kind of suspect that this piece might have originally been either the beginning of the novel Mm. before the rest of this was written Mm. or like a fun tagline to put on like the book jacket. Right. Because it kind of reads like that. So then we finally get into the actual story and not just hanging out in the framing device. We learn that he was born into a troupe of traveling performers, which is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. So this was a reread of the book. I, I noticed this time around that we're 71 pages in at this point. We get the mention of his mother, who is the first female character to have appeared in this book. Right, okay. Which is not great. She also doesn't get a name. Ah. And she doesn't speak until about 30 pages later. Now, is that a trend? Is that a trend that continues in this book? It's definitely a bit of a trend. This novel has a bit of of an issue with with women. I don't want to cast any aspersions on Patrick Rothfuss. I think he's a cool dude. But, yeah, this novel has... Got some parts. Falls into the classic trap that I think a lot of perhaps older male authors fall into of only yeah. writing from the, the male perspective. Yeah, I think that's true. And also, again, keep in mind that this book came out in 2009, right. which is not an excuse, but is kind of an explanation. That's right. So anyway, Kavoth is a child. He meets a guy named Abenthi, or Ben. Mm who is a traveling magician and teaches him some beginning aspects of magic, Mm. which is referred to as sympathy, which I think is a real thing outside of this book. Like, I think that's not an uncommon name for magic. Interesting. Okay. There's some explanation about it. He wants uh, Kavoth to eventually go to the academy, which is where people go to study magic. Right. We learn that his parents are writing a song about the Chandrian, who you will remember from earlier, were the demons. Indeed. My understanding is that Skraelings are just kind of like monsters Mm. with sort of a 
a demonic bent, whereas the Chandrian are more your named right um, conscious yeah conscious demons yeah with awareness right okay yeah so they're writing a song and Ben's like hey. Maybe you shouldn't write a song about demons. And they're like, eh, it'll be fine. I think I see where this is going. Okay, yeah, go on. Things, th- yeah, you, you can see where this is going. Do the um, parents die? Yeah. The parents uh, they're, die. They're getting there. I see. There's also a lot of talk about how Kavoth is just the best, you know. As you do when you're yeah. telling a story from your own perspective. Exactly, exactly. Um, ben even is like, you know, oh, he will be the best at whatever he chooses to do. Mm. Whether that's music or performance or magic. Or innkeeping. Um, Or in-keeping, which it turns out is the the key, I guess. Mm. We go back to the framing device of them chatting in the inn. Chronicler is looking at Bast, being like, there's something not not right about this dude, and threatens him with iron, and Bast recoils, hissing, I imagine. Ah. And we learn that Bast is a member of a race called the Telwith Male? Telwith Mile? Okay. Which are clearly supposed to be a fae-like race. Their name is very similar to um, the Tell with tag Welsh fairies, right? Okay. Um, mythology, basically. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. We have no indication of what this means. Um, Bath is a prince of them mm. and has come to study with Kavoth. He's also like 150 years old. Interesting. So the 150 year old being trained by the 25 year old. Yes. So curious. It's so it's curious. very odd. It's very odd. Also, this is the only reference we get to the Tell with Mile in this okay. novel. I see what you mean <laughs> by the. The kind of the fantasy races existing on the fringes and yeah. not really being delved into. I see. The the Fae are also the only one we get any reference to. I think aside from the Chandrian, who are demonish, right. and also angels exist. Maybe um, we well, if he killed one. Yeah, well, did that. something to an angel, <laughs> <laughs> which just sounds wrong. In any case, um, anyway. In any case. There's all this stuff about how he, as a child, he manages to outsmart Ben, but he does try to call on the wind and does almost get himself killed, because if you try to call on something um, and you don't have enough energy, it just sucks it all just of the energy and you. kills you. Right, okay. Yeah. Eventually, Ben leaves the troop, and um, Kavoth is left just with his parents and the other people in the troop. Eventually, there's an incident where a tree has fallen into the path of their wagon, um, so they're stuck, and Kavoth kind of wanders off into the forest, and he comes back, and surprise, surprise, everyone is dead. Ah. Um, which we all we all saw coming, mm. at least to some extent. The the singing songs about the demons. No kidding. Again, kind of falls into the 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 cliche of the hero being raised, family dead, you know, yeah. Harry Potter type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It feels very folkloric also, I think, of of the superstitious things that should not be spoken of. Now, at this point, is is he more of your uh, earnest, competitive, simple, hard-headed hero main character? Or is he a little more cunning, a little more subtle? Is he the Sasuke or the Naruto? (laughs) What do you think at this point? Honestly, I don't know. He seems a little (laughs) arrogant. He seems like... Who wanders off from the character, right? Instead of trying to help. I think he was going to get wood or something. Mm. Like, there was a purpose to him wandering off. Sure, okay. It's just one of those very coincidental things that he happens to wander off and then everyone else gets murdered. Right, no, he does He does seem a little bit like the simple, earnest, hard-headed, you know, <laughs> I'm just gonna, my way or the yeah. highway, disregard. I think he's also meant to be around 13 at this point. Ah, that explains um, it. Right. So, the, this is sort of... The selfish teenager. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. a teenager. So, when he gets back, the Chandrian are actually still there. Ah. Um, so, he gets a look at them and they have very stereotypical kind of demon attributes like one of them has goat eyes one of them has black eyes lovely and they're like your parents were singing the wrong kinds of songs which is (laughs) they casually threaten him they do (laughs) um and they're gonna kill him but then this other guy who's kind of in charge of them his name is lord haliax sure excellent demon name it is a good demon name he's like no 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 don't do it don't kill the boy don't know why but they leave him alone for the purposes of a plot device for yeah for the purposes of this story right right both is not murdered by some demons sure you know 100 20 pages in. Mm. So he travels through the wilderness. He's just got his father's loot and he teaches himself to play it and he's really good. Is he a bard? Um, Bards are my favorite. He is kind of bard-like and I do appreciate that about his character is that there is like a strong musical component. Right. Which I think is kind of cool. It's not something you see often in Mm -hmm. heroes of fantasy stories. So I do think that's cool. He ends up going to a city. There's this whole thing where some boys try to steal his loot and it gets broken Mm. and it's very sad because it was his father's loot and then he's kind of trapped in the city like 
there's nowhere else for him to go, really. So he just becomes a beggar on the street for three years. Right. Like an Aladdin type of beggar? Like, does he steal? Is he a street rat? <laughs> Tell me he's a street rat. He is a bit of a street rat. All right. I think he a street rat bard. What a picture. Okay. It is. Although he doesn't have a loot anymore, so he can't do anything. You know, now that now that I'm kind of contextualizing the, the whole, you know, street rat bard type of <laughs> thinks highly of himself, kind of makes sense that he's the 25-year-old, very arrogant, telling his story yeah. to this mythical history keeper. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna see this uh, continue to go. He spends a lot of his time listening to stories because I guess we needed to get some world building in there somewhere. Right. So he hears a story about Fantasy Jesus, who is called Telu or Telu, right, right? Which I'm I'm referring to him as Fantasy Jesus because the story involves an immaculate conception. I see. And Telu beat back the Lord of the Demons. We also learn that there is this drug called Denner resin. Mm-hmm. This is not important now, but it will become important later. But we do get this dropped right there. We also hear the story of Lanray, and this is the song that Kavoth's father was writing when he was killed by demons. Oh. The story of Lanray, right. who eventually became a demon called Haliax, which was the name of the demon. In, yeah, okay, that, you saw my face yeah, there. Yeah, I did okay. see your face. I wasn't sure if it was confusion or understanding. Well, so. it was a little column A, a little column okay. B, to be honest. There have been a lot of names so far. I know. So this was the Lord of the Demons who killed his family. Yes. Right. Anyway, so he eventually decides he's going to go to the university. The academy. Academy, that's the one. I have, I have university written down. It's basically a university. Like, it's it's not a high school. School it's, for magic. Yeah, it's a school for magic, right. and it's definitely, like, adults are there. <laughs> it's not for children. For advanced degrees in magic. Exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> not, it's not a Hogwarts situation, I sure. guess, is what I want to get across. Gotcha. Also, you have to pay to go there, which will become a very large plot point, because what else do you want to read about other than fantasy characters managing their debt? I mean, at least I can relate. <laughs> it's true. So, there's a plot point about how he gets in a wagon. We have the first named female character, Rita. By the way, we're on page 235. 235, first female named character. Got it, right? Um, There were some named female characters in the stories that I mentioned earlier, but Mm. I'm not counting them because they didn't appear on screen. Right. This is the first on-screen character. She's the Wagoner's wife. And we also meet the girl. Oh. We learn a couple pages later her name is Denna. Sure. Uh, which is a little bit confusing that there is Denna and Denna Resin. Unrelated. But it's they're, they're unrelated things. I see. So he and Denna bond. He asks her, where are you going? And she doesn't know, but she's very charmed that he asked the question. And there's another subplot where there's another traveler who likes her too. Right. The other traveler has a lute and he ends up getting to borrow the lute and play again. There's this kind of funny confluence of things because when he sees Denna, he describes her as the most beautiful thing he'd seen in three years and then like three pages later describes the loot as the most beautiful thing he'd seen in three years <laughs> i see i don't know if the implication is that the the loot is more beautiful or what's happening uh, it sounds pretty cut and dry to um, me yeah it's <laughs> so sorry denna i mm. guess you were upstaged by a musical instrument fair enough he ends up playing the loot for the assembled group of people who are traveling in this wagon and it's really nice descriptions of him playing which is which is cool but also there's a kind of funny thing that he is the most amazing amazing player ever and it kind of it kind of reads like one of those tumblr posts Mm. from like 2012 Mm. where it would be like and then the whole class applauded (laughs) it it kind of reads like that and again like we've mentioned briefly like this is him telling his own story i don't know how much we're meant to read him as an unreliable narrator i mean i embellish my stories yeah like we all we all do it a little bit and i'm almost a 25 year old man so there you go (laughs) right also, he goes to bed and he cries and adult Kavoth has a line of like, he was a child, he had yet to know what sorrow was. It's like his parents were murdered. <laughs> what do you think sorrow is, adult yeah, Kavoth? no kidding. Anyway, he gets to the academy and he manages to impress them. There's a bunch of questions they have for him and he very remarkably manages to remember all of the teaching that he got over three years ago from Ben, which is good. Right. Also, none of the masters are women. There's nine masters, I think, who all teach a different discipline. Mm-hmm. None of them are women. This is not relevant, but it- Missed opportunity. It, it just kept being a bit of a, a thing that I was noticing. A little thing, fair <laughs> a enough. A little thing. He also has a line about, if you admit me for free, I'll be a student unlike any you've ever seen before. Which is kind of cool, of like a brag. But how are you feeling about this continual Kavoth is the most awesome mm-hmm, person mm-hmm. in the world kind of I don't know. I just, well, we haven't really heard about his feats yet. All we've heard is that he got mugged and his loot stolen and, mm-hmm. and beat up, you know, yeah. and then he fell for a girl and then he got into a school of magic and talked his way in using his silver yeah. tongue. I want to see some action. Yeah. That being said, as the arrogant teenager, 
I kind of feel a certain affinity for Kaboth. I'm not sure if that's a good thing, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, that's, it's honest. That's it's honest. fair enough. And without throwing aspersions, I do think you are probably more of the intended audience for this book I see. than I fair was. Enough. So he gets admitted with a scholarship, basically, which is kind of cool. Right. He has to pay room and board. And as far as I can tell, tuition is sort of dependent on how well you do in your studies. Sure. So again, similar to a university. He meets some other students and befriends them. I wrote their names down. They're Savoy, Simon, and Willem. You can disregard those. They aren't important. They Good don't to know. matter. Good um, to know. In thought, one ear. <laughs> yeah. If you thought you were going to then pick up the next book in the series, maybe that's important. I don't know. He meets this guy named Ambrose in the archives, and Ambrose is going to become his rival. I see. And they, they immediately have... A little conflict. Yeah. A little bit of a conflict. Tension. Yeah. Would things... you say that he's his foil? He's his... Foil might be going a little bit far. Okay. He's definitely kind of the Draco Malfoy. Oh, I love it. To Kavoth's Harry Potter. Love it already. He also has a line where he thinks about how wounded pride can spur a man to do wondrous things. Which, has that ever been true? Mm, I was going to say, wounded pride can spur a man to do a lot of horrible yes, things. Like, like, I, I definitely <laughs> believe it can spur a man to action. Uh, I don't know about the, the adjective wondrous. I was going to say, historically... <laughs> <laughs> then Moving right along. There's this incident that like isn't important, but I wanted to talk about it because it it just made me. You know what? I'm just gonna tell you what happens, and we're gonna see what what you think. Let's about take it. this ride. So we get the explanation that the ratio of men to women is ten to one in the academy. Well, it makes sense given what we've heard. Yeah, so which far. I mean, from the sounds of it, that's also the ratio of men to women in the world. That's right. <laughs> so that's good. So there's a female student in his first class. Her name is Rhea. The master of the class is this guy who was, he was kind of a jerk to him in the uh, initiation. Sure. The testing initially. Uh, the teacher's name is Hem. He's not very nice to anyone, but he sees Rhea and is kind of nice to her. Mm. And then also makes her cross her legs and says, the gates of hell are now closed. Mm. I see. <laughs> and this goes completely uncommented on. Right. Right, okay, so only female student, and of course, yeah. the misogyny already starts. <laughs> and, like, this teacher is definitely not meant to be a good dude. Right. But, like, nobody stands up for this poor girl. She's never mentioned again. She's just there. Leave it to the creepy professor. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, Kavoth is like, well, I already know all of this. This class isn't teaching me anything interesting. After mentioning to him, the teacher, being like, I already know this, can I go up to the next level, please, because he's sort of in, like, the entry-level classes. Sure. Hem tries to publicly humiliate him, basically. Right. And tries to get Kavoth to teach the class. Mm. You know, that old, that old chestnut. That's exactly right. <laughs> if you know so much, why don't you come up here and yeah. teach the class? Yeah, yeah. and uh, do you want to guess how that goes? Poorly. Well, well, does it go well, yeah. it based goes, on Kavoth? It goes really well, because right. Kavoth is the best. I see. Gotcha. <laughs> so I'm glad you're paying attention to the themes mm. of the novel. So he does a great job okay. and manages to embarrass the teacher and also kind of set him on fire in the process. Right, as you do. As you do. The students think this is very funny, but the teacher does not. Mm. So he makes a complaint and accuses Kavoth of harmful sympathy and Kavoth is risking expulsion. Right. He does manage to put the silver tongue to use mm. and does like a little bit of lying. Like, you know, oh, I didn't intend for anything to happen, mm. even though he definitely did. He manages to wiggle himself out of most of the trouble. Mm. He gets admitted to the Arcanum, which is sort of the proper level of university where he's now right, where learning. Right, he should be. Yeah, he's learning proper magic now okay. rather than just the entry level stuff. Okay. Apparently this usually takes years, but they're like, well, you, you did prove you knew what you were you talking about. You did light the teacher on. You fire. did light the teacher on <laughs> a fire. A student unlike any other. <laughs> but he also gets sentenced to whipping, so right. that's good. Mm. <laughs> that's good. Sorry, that's good? Uh, 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 betraying a little bit of bias there, aren't we, narrator? Well, All right. it's, it's more that, I mean, he did set a teacher on fire. He, I, fair enough. I suppose it was a little... Go on. It's also only three lashes. Mm. Oh, only three. Well, yeah. I mean, bring it <laughs> on. I guess I've, never, I've never been whipped. <laughs> Um, so I guess maybe that's fine. Jeez, oh, right. And no uh, comment. 
Afterwards, he gets stitched up by a young woman who says that his skin is beautiful. Slightly concerning coming from your surgeon. Just a little bit. Yeah, what's what's the over-under on this young woman just becoming a serial killer down honestly, the line? Honestly, honestly, no kidding. <laughs> How do you got such nice skin, right? Pat, Pat Rothfuss, where's my, where's my spin-off novel about this woman becoming some kind of weird now that's some, that's a killer. That's an idea worth sharing right there. Thanks for coming to the uh, TED Talk. <laughs> anyway, so he's tired and in pain because he's just been whipped, but he goes to the archives and kind of half-heartedly stops Ambrose from assaulting a woman. Mm. So that's good. Mm. Point in his favor. Um, but Ambrose isn't super happy about this. And so he's like, here, I will give you a candle to go into the archives with instead of, they usually use sort of magic heat, of course, heatless sure. lamps, flameless lamps. Sure. But Kavoth is tired, so he takes the candle and he goes into the archives and gets super reamed out for it because you shouldn't have an open flame with In a, a bunch library. of yeah, a bunch of old books. Sure, and he is banned from the archives. Which is a bummer, because that, that was his main way of finding his parents. Right, and, like, learning who, who more information about the demons. Yeah, so we learned some backstory about Ambrose, which is that he is the son of a baron, so he's rich. Of course. And powerful. Right. Yep. My right. father will hear about this. Exactly. He also maybe killed a woman. <laughs> well, but I mean, I, you just kind of skimmed over the fact that he was sexually assaulting a yes, woman, right? I, so It is kind of skimmed over in the text as well. Also, we, considering <laughs> that there's no female instructors... And only one female student. Well, there are a couple of female students. It's okay. just that in that particular class, there was only one. I see. Okay. Okay. In any case, <laughs> yeah. go on. Apparently, the, the backstory to this is that he promised to marry her and then didn't, and she complained about it, and then she just disappeared one day. Mm. And this is the last this is ever referenced. This never comes up again. Right. Ominous. A little bit. Vaguely little threatening. Bit. So Kavoth tries to get an apprenticeship under Elodin, who is the master namer. Sure. Elodin is like, I, I don't take students anymore because most of them go crazy crazy and doesn't want to teach him. Kavoth is really adamant. Is like, what can I do to prove to you that I will do this? And Elodin is like, how about you jump off this roof? And he's like, okay, and does right, it. Right. Elodin's like, well, I'm not teaching you because clearly you will do mm. wild things when I tell you to. Again, a student like no other. <laughs> a student like no other. I don't think we get a super clear time period, but this is definitely within like the first six months he's been here. He has set a teacher on fire and also jumped off a building. Right. We go back to the framing device, and there's some some banter between our our three bros. Bass speaks up to tell us that the story is lacking in women, which I agree. Well, wow, good for him. good on him. Good <laughs> Hasht- on him. Hashtag feminism. No kidding. And Kavoth corrects him that actually the story is missing the woman. Then we get this very flowery description about the woman is a wild thing. And she must be approached carefully. Mm. So we don't talk about the woman for a little bit longer. Right. Now, is this the woman that you referenced earlier? This is. This is This is the same girl. We don't know that it's Denna yet. This, this fact is kind of obscured for a little while. Right. There's sort of this ongoing plot thread about how Kavoth is poor. He doesn't have enough money to pay for this, his second term of school. Even though many of his friends are rich, mm. um, he doesn't ask them for help. He goes to a money lender instead, whose name is Devi. She's mm. a former student, and she's actually really cool. She does like blood magic to kind of keep him okay. like as part of the money lending process, so she can track him down if he defaults on his loan. I see. Uh, which is kind of cool. Like um, a magical payday loan yeah, type of yeah, organization. Yeah, gotcha. but don't worry. She's also pretty. We get outstanding, that outstanding, <laughs> critical, crucial. <laughs> And at first he doesn't want to take it, but then he sees a really pretty loot that he wants. And he's like, well, now I have to take the loan. <laughs> this guy's got a thing <laughs> with does. loot. He does. We have another weird aside that we meet a different woman who is not the woman. Mm. She's supposed to be like 20 or older, which makes her older than he is, right. at least at the point in which this is occurring. Of course. He refers to her as a girl, which is a little bit odd, but all right. She's gone crap, which is obviously a sign that she is not super mentally well. Well, mm, um, it's sort okay. of implied that she used to be a student of the Master Namer and was one of the students that went crazy. Right. She speaks really childishly and she won't tell him her actual name, so he calls her Ori. Okay. And he thinks of her as his little moon fae, which I, I've just written in my notes, I vom. I see, indeed. Yeah, no, <laughs> as you do. I don't like it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that and just, you know, just, lodge that one away for <laughs> yeah, later. Just... 
put a, put a pin in that, and we're gonna come back to it, probably. We don't learn how he met this girl. She lives beneath the university in, like, some tunnels or something. For someone who has gone into the very minutiae of most of this person's life, we do not get the story of how they met. Right. Anyway, so we finally get the story about the woman, which is that they go to a pub in the next city over, and Kavoth goes to play, trying to get some money because there's, like, wealthy patrons who come. He plays this super hard song, which is a, a duet, mm. and he doesn't pick a duet partner. He just hopes someone will jump in. <laughs> That's some wishful thinking right there. A little bit, but somebody does. Somebody pipes up to sing the woman's part. Sure. And she's perfect, and he plays really well and ends up getting his pipes, which means that he can play there whenever he wants. Lovely. And then he, he goes to find her, the woman, and he does run into two men who hit on him, so some canon gays. Outstanding. Which is okay. nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just mark that down. That's right. That column. Check. We then cut suddenly back out into the framing device. They they are debating on how to describe the woman. Okay. Kavoth clearly thinks she's the most perfect thing to have ever existed. Mm. Bast apparently met her once or saw her once. He says that she had perfect ears. Now... Is that a weirder compliment than the skin one from honestly, earlier? Honestly, honestly. It's it's approaching. It's <laughs> approaching the skin one. Not quite as threatening <laughs> as the skin one. Just a little unsettling. Just a little bit concerning. That's right. But Kvothe thinks that she's perfect. Mm. And Bast calls him out for thinking that every woman is beautiful. Right. Which has been a recurring thing. I, indeed. No kidding. He's made a point <laughs> of making sure. Every one of them beautiful. Yeah. And, and I'd also like to point out the fact that the lead guitarist gets the girl. Oh, you know, that's, yeah. Absolutely. Harkening back to that cliche, but go on. <laughs> so we do get a little bit of a description of Denna. We get the knowledge that her lips are red, but not painted red. Not right. like a slut. Right. Because, you know, you can't paint your lips. Certainly. They just have to be naturally red. Of course, it's Denna, mm. who is the girl that he met at the caravan, mm. or the wagon, which was probably only a few months ago. It was definitely less than a year ago. Mm. But they act like it's been a really long time. Sure. She also introduces herself as Diane, and he's a little bit confused. And she's also with one of his friends. Like, okay. this doesn't really emerge into any real tension at any point. Right. There's a whole bit where Ambrose, who is also at the pub, because of course he is, and he also plays the lute because of course, of course he does. Of course he does, right. He uses his connections so that Kavoth can't find a patron. Mm. And Kavoth ends up writing a song making fun of Ambrose and then it spreads and gets really popular. Just and, desserts. Yeah, and of course everyone loves it, although Ambrose tries to get him in trouble for it. My um, father will hear about this. Exactly, exactly. There's this line about, this was the main reason that Ambrose eventually tried to kill me. So that's some good Right, yeah, no kidding. A little, little Celieri yeah. there. Love it. <laughs> then he meets with Denna and there's a line about how um, she's like the wind that moves him and I don't know if there's an intentional metaphor happening yeah. there about throwback to the title type yeah, of thing yeah exactly like mm. is that the name of the wind mm. he's also trying to get the girl mm-hmm. I don't know if that's intentional I bet but you it's it is there. I bet you it is it's, it's definitely there there's a lot of tension spent on his financial situation mm. I don't know that we ever get a good clue about what it's like which I guess is kind of the university experience that no he kidding. goes from spending exorbitantly to being completely destitute. So like mood, but <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Know. No kidding. Again, <laughs> at least it's relatable. I, I'm impressed that the author managed to write a high fantasy novel and still include student debt. Yes, exactly. They they finally have a conversation about how she's calling herself Diane and she says, Oh, I left Denna behind years ago, but like I said, I think it was less than a year ago that he met her at the wagon, so I don't know what that's about. But anyway, there's also this line of where he's he's talking to another guy at the bar who has known Denna for a while, and the, the bar dude is like, women are like flames, and she's like the spark off God's anvil. Wow. Poetic, though. Gonna remember that. Log that one away for later. <laughs> just, just if you need to bust out some, that's exactly right. some smooth lines ever. There's a, a workplace accident where Kavoth, he, he's mostly working at this point, in the magical blacksmithery where they, they use magic to make the lamps that I mentioned earlier that are flameless, among other things. And he, he gets to save a woman who works there because, of course, he does. Mm. It also burns off his shirt, um, <laughs> which we were informed is the only shirt he owns that right. he has been wearing since he left the city where he was a beggar. So uh, what's that stank level I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, I wonder how often he washes... That's, a, that's an interesting detail. That's that's part of the setting. It really is. <laughs> well, I know this is a thing in fantasy. And I mean, I'm sure it was true to medieval times where people didn't have a lot of clothes. Right. But he's been wearing this shirt for like a year. Right. Minimum. Well, simple and earnest. But it gets burned.
turned up, so I guess that's that problem right. solved. I think he gets a new shirt at some point. <laughs> problem solved. Um, <laughs> Don't have to wash it. <laughs> yeah. Cleansed um, by the flame. The woman thanks him and is like, wow, I was so dumb. I just stood there. And he's like, no, it's okay. You're a strong woman. It's good that he gives her that validation. Yeah. yeah again, I appreciate that. You again. know, that, that again, check that <laughs> yeah. token, that token box there. Yeah. Hashtag feminism. Um... <laughs> And of course, while this woman is hugging him, Denna walks in and thinks that it's a thing that it isn't. There's also some some explanation about how other women hate her because she's so much more complex. And it's just like, you know, that's that's how other women be. Always be jealous. That's right. That's how that works. Again, I think you're absolutely right when you say this was written. Again, no, no disrespect to the author at all. But as you say, this probably was written by a man for young men. Yes. So. And, and specifically in 2009. Indeed. It may not have the most nuanced. Yeah approach towards uh, women <laughs> and women's relationships. We do get a bit of an explanation that life kind of sucks for women. Like, they don't have a lot of options. You don't say. In the world. Yeah. So that's kind of nice. And she's a wandering spirit sure. and sort of moves from man to man, but not in, like, a sex worker way. Okay. In just a flirty way, I guess. And that's sort of her way of not getting tied down to any of the typical roles of women. Oh, okay. Fair. Liberating. Yeah. So so finally we get some action, some assassins come for come for him. They were probably sent by Ambrose. I don't know if we ever get explicit confirmation of that, but like Ambrose sent them. Mm. We can assume mm. that. He does get away. I think he kills one of them and like just wipes the floor with them, really, right, with right, magic. As you do. Yeah. And he finds a note that Denna has left town. And then he also overhears some people at the bar talking about a wedding at a town a little ways away where the wedding party was suddenly slaughtered. And also there was blue flame, which is one of the signs of the Chandrian. Mm. And so he's like, ah, another opportunity to investigate what happened to my parents. Okay. So he, he borrows some more money. He buys a horse, and that's a whole thing. They discuss what to name it, which, why, fantasy novels, why why you do this? Why you do this thing with horses? Well, full immersion? I Yeah, I, fair I enough. Guess, I guess. Anyway, so gets a horse, gets to the town mm. where this wedding happened, mm. and he's told that there's one survivor of the wedding, okay. and surprise, it's Denna, who was at the wedding. Inexplicably. <laughs> Inexplicably at right. the wedding. Okay. She mentions that she's got this wealthy patron who told her to go there, and he's kind of sketchy, but we mm. don't get any more information about mm. him in this book. Now, if we can just... This sounds like we should be solidly into the book by now. We are... Definitely solidly into the book by now. Okay, I was going to say, he hasn't even graduated yet. He has not graduated We're, we're still yet. waiting for these great, uh, great feats. We you know? are still waiting for these great feats. All right, go on. We are racing at this point towards the end of the book. Right. And we're, we're now just off in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the remains of this wedding. And they both sort of go to the site where the wedding was, and they're sort of picking around. Denna's trying to find her patron because he disappeared at the wedding. Mm. And he definitely knew something was up. Mm. But obviously we don't hear Dennis' side of the story, so we don't know exactly what. Right. While they're sort of searching around in the woods, they run into this pig farmer who has this really ridiculous hick accent. And it's written out phonetically in the book. Gotcha. I need you to picture Hagrid, like how Hagrid's speech is written in the, the Harry course. Potter yeah, books. Yeah. But multiply that by ten <laughs> in terms okay. of how unreadable it is. Right. Like it, it absolutely slows to a crawl every time he speaks. And in order to to fit in, Kavoth and Denna also take on hick accents. Oh, outstanding. And For your reading pleasure. Oh, goodness. It's <laughs> <laughs> apparently, according to my e-reader, this only goes on for eight pages. Gotcha. It feels like it goes on for about 30. Right. And as I have said a couple times, I think Pat Rothfuss is a cool guy. I will never forgive him for making <laughs> me sit through this well, scene. you know what? On behalf of our uh, hopefully potential listeners and on behalf of myself, <laughs> I thank you for sparing me. That, that torment. <laughs> I appreciate You're that. You're a martyr. We, we learn from the bumpkin that... The, the bumpkin. The bumpkin. <laughs> that the person building the... So the wedding was at this house that was recently built. And we learned that while they were digging the foundations, they dug up something. Sure. And they also see some blue fire mm. far away. And mm. they're like, oh, Chandrian. That's not good. And so they inexplicably go towards it. it it's not the Chandrian. It's actually a dragon. Uh, right. Okay. Yep. As you do. It's, <laughs> go it's on. It's not a very exciting dragon. So... Don't get your hopes up too far. Okay. It is compared to a cow. I think more in mechanics. I think it's bigger than a cow. Right. I should hope so. But it's definitely not massive dragon size. It's. I was sort of picturing something elephant size. Right. More of a more of a wyvern. I'm. I'm thinking. 
chicken. Kind maybe. of. And it's it's vegetarian. Okay. And there's even a scientific explanation of why it breathes fire, which is why it's compared to a cow, because it has to do with the methane mm. gas. Hot take on dragons. It is kind of a hot take on dragons. It's not a very exciting take on dragons. Ah, but well, it is, fair enough. It is yeah. a fresh take. We also learned that Kavoth knows some stuff about dragons because he read a book by mm. the Chronicler. So that's a fun little That is a fun little, little callback. Yeah. They they find a farm that they think is for maple syrup, but then they realize that it's Denner resin, which we will remember is the drug from earlier. Right. How how deadly are we? Is this like opium or like the the less hard, you know, kind of harmless kind it's, of stuff? It's what? definitely in the vein of opium, heroin, right. that kind of stuff. We're never given a super clear understanding of how dangerous this is, mm. but Dana takes a big bite out of it. Gotcha. Because there's discs of it. Sure. And she thinks it's maple syrup and just takes a big old <laughs> bite out of it. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> Kavoth, like, as she's taking the bite, Kavoth is like, no! Right. And makes her spit it out. Right. And then makes her eat some coal. Right. He threatens to knock her out if she doesn't eat the coal, which, not cool. What does this drug do? I don't know. But coal is, like, a detoxifier. Like, I think it is legitimately a thing you can take if you have eaten something that you don't want to. Right. They also figure out that the dragon has been eating the dinner resin. Hmm. So not only is it just a chill, (laughs) cow-like animal it's also high yeah Yeah. (laughs) and addicted right they decide that they're going to poison it using the resin because it's kind of dangerous sure the dragon the dragon is yeah because it's it's eventually going to run out of resin and then it's going to go looking for more Mm. and it could wander into the town there's this very long process of them deciding how much of the resin to give it because they also want to try and take some for themselves so they can sell it right ethical (laughs) yeah our our heroes that's right that's right Uh, well you know gotta hustle right gotta pay that tuition somehow. Yeah, I, I guess. So they, they prepare the drug for it. Meanwhile, him and Dana chat, and she's slowly but surely getting higher and higher. Right. To his credit, she she hits on him, and he's like, no, we're not going to do that. That's not cool. Right. So that's nice. They chat a little bit about how she was struck by him asking her where she was going mm. when they first met back at the wagon, and she doesn't think he's attracted to her, which is kind of wild. Mm. So the dragon shows up, it eats the resin that they have left for it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't die immediately, but it does notice that there is a harvest festival happening at the nearby town and is like, huh, Oh no! what's that? High and hungry. Yeah, high and hungry, he <laughs> goes to the harvest festival. Denna is passed out. She's sleeping off the drug. Right. He cannot wake her up. Right. So he goes after the dragon right. to try and save the town. The vegetarian dragon. The vegetarian dragon, right. but it still can breathe fire, so I guess it's... Definitely dangerous. Yeah, definitely but... has some danger. And he, he manages to kill it. He collapses some stuff on it and also gets himself hurt in the process. But he saves the town, which is cool. Wakes up the next day. And there's this weird bit where he's being tended to by a pretty girl. But also, she's just a basic in-girl. And, you know, she's destined for a certain kind of life, which is always living in the inn, I guess. Which is just, it's one of those things that, like, why are we just hitting this wall over and over again? Well, there's a cruel irony there, too, since he ends up living and working in an inn. It is. It is. And I don't know if that's meant to be kind of like, oh, these in-girls and then dramatic irony. Right. So he tries to grab food and wine to go back to Denna with, mm. but she's gone by the time he gets back to where they were camped. Um, How roguish. I guess she thought he abandoned her, maybe. Ah. So he goes back to town, kind of sad, and everyone's like, you killed a dragon. Mm. That's pretty cool. And he uses this this admiration to find out what they dug up mm. at the farm where the wedding took place. Right, right, right. And we find out that it was a vase with some pictures on it, which were probably the Chandrian, which seems like a very strange thing to have killed an entire wedding for Hmm. but I mean, his parents did also get murdered for singing a song, so I guess we can't... Well, I mean, demons be demons, right? Yeah, demons gonna demon. <laughs> That's right. He's told this by a young girl. We're told that she's about 13. Sure. Don't worry. The girl is beautiful. She's only 13. I was just about to say. But she's beautiful. Well, so it goes. <laughs> and he, he thinks to himself about how, or at least present Kavoth narrating this in what is the future, says that this was the first moment he felt like a hero. Right. So uh, how are you feeling about Kavoth? I think that you have established that he may be a bit of an unreliable narrator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very curious to see how this story escalates because so far the only real feat is killing a cow-like vegetarian dragon yep. who was very high. Yep. <laughs> so not that and, that's not impressive. 
impressive student like none other. <laughs> Truly. So he goes back to the university. He runs into Denna again and she has a new man. Sure. He has another conflict with Ambrose mm. where Ambrose breaks his loot, right. which is a recurring I theme was gonna say, in yeah. the story. Kavoth calls the wind. It, it takes a lot out of him. Sure. And Elodin, who we remember is the master namer. Indeed. He helps him get control over it and it's fine. And there's this whole bit where Ambrose puts in a grievance against him. Mm. They expel him from the university and then also unexpel him and they level him up. This guy's got some Harry Potter luck. <laughs> it is wild to read. Yeah. And also Elodin sort of approves of him to teach him some naming stuff. Okay. So we get, get a resolution to that. There's this story that starts wherein Ori, who is the woman who lives beneath the university, right. she's going to take him below the university and she's going to show him something. Okay. And then we cut away to the framing device where some customers have interrupted story time. Uh-huh, convenient. And they want to chat about the legends of Kavoth, which is very coincidental. Indeed. And also this guy shows up and Chronicler recognizes him as one of the soldiers who mugged him on the road earlier. Mm. But he is all messed up. He is absolutely possessed. Like he's ranting and raving and wildly going about the inn. Right. Bast is the only person who's like, something doesn't seem right about this dude. Yeah, Bast seems like the uh, the sharpest character <laughs> he here. He does, he does. But they end up killing this possessed man. Mm. So back in the story, some more build up to what's below what the university. What she's going to show him. The, the resolution is that it's a secret way into the archives, which he is still banned from. Right. But now he has a way in. Okay. He keeps seeing Denna, but she decided that he doesn't have any interest in her, so he can be her best friend, but not her romantic interest. He's not happy with that, but he is kind of into being like, like a clear threat to these men who are dating her. Ah. He's like, sure, you've kissed her, but I make her laugh. Mm. He he kind of has like a terminal case of nice guy syndrome. I was syndrome. just about to say <laughs> he's falling into the trope of the nice guy, and this is a pretty on brand for what I've it, learned about him so far, is it not? Yeah, it's definitely not out of character for him to have fallen into these tropes. Right. There's, there's this whole thing about how she's actually very hurt by this whole state of affairs wherein men fall for her. Which, again, is very much a hallmark of men writing women. Yes. Like, it's so tiresome Agreed. that men are always falling for her. Mm. And, of course, it's it's why Kvothe is valuable to her, because he's her friend, mm. and he's not going to hit on her. Which, mm. yeah, we can see some problems We'll see how that there. plays out. Well, we won't, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe if... if we slash you read The Wise Man's Fear. It's explained that she, she leaves men because she's a wild thing. That's she's right. like a storm. So we get a tease about how Ambrose will have his revenge. I bet and then will. we're then we're done. Well, we're done the story within the story. Okay. Um, that's, that's the that's end. the note that we leave this Unceremoniously. on. Unceremoniously. Um, we get a bit of an epilogue where Bast visits Chronicler in the middle of the night, which is not as exciting as it sounds. Mm. There's a line about how... I was gonna say, sorry, hold on. <laughs> On, back up. Visits Chronicler and then visits hmm. Chronicler in the middle. I don't know how old Chronicler is supposed to be, but definitely older than Kavon. Right. You go on. Just gonna let that simmer. Bass says that he actually was the one to spread the rumors that Kavoth was hiding out in this town right. because he wanted Chronicler to come because Kavoth is wasting away. Bast threatens him to like keep him on track, but also not to let him talk too much about the dark stuff because mm. I guess that will make him sadder. Bast sort of wants him to regain his former glory. Story, right, right. And then we have a callback to how the inn is very silent, mm. and one of the silences is Kavoth's silence of a man waiting to die. Mm. And then that's the end and of the book. And that's where we end, where we began. Okay, yeah. okay, come so, full circle. Now that we have summarized that monster of a book, what are your thoughts on what we have just gone? Boy, what are my thoughts? <laughs> you know, there's a there's a lot to cover. I think that as the uninformed listener here, you definitely conveyed the feeling. I'm of glad. the book to me. You've conveyed the emotions that you felt throughout. I definitely can relate to some things, and I agree with your analysis that the intended audience is probably more me than you. Yeah. As I said, you've established Kavoth as an uh, unreliable narrator, and I'm curious to see if you ever learn the origin of some of these myths, yeah. see if they are 
closely related to the truth at all or if they are heavily embellished. I think we get some acknowledgement within the story about how the killing of the dragon Mm. was embellished in later retellings Mm -hmm. of the story. Mm -hmm. Obviously we've not gotten to a lot of the uh, the bigger issue things like speaking to God. Yeah, speaking to God. His title is King Killer. So I imagine that will come up at some point. Yeah, (laughs) well, if it doesn't, then... (laughs) I mean, I guess it may not come up until the third book, but I have to assume that at some point he did kill the king. Oh, and I I didn't mention this in my summary, but the bloodless thing does come back. I know we put a pin Mm -hmm. in that earlier, but basically when he's getting whipped for setting the teacher on fire, he takes a potion or a, a plant of some kind that makes it so that he doesn't bleed. I think also so he doesn't really feel the pain of it, which is definitely kind of cheating. Well, no. But it's it's to give him a good reputation, basically, among the students. Again, kind of going back to my initial thought, he seems like less so much your exceptional wayward adventurer who's good at everything and more just a guy who's uh, silver-tongued, a little bit cunning, and yeah. good, at, good at framing. You yeah. know? And maybe that's why I kind of feel a bit of an affinity for him, you know? Yeah. Which I don't <laughs> think I should. Let me clarify. I don't think Kavoth is necessarily a good guy here. <laughs> but, you know, I, I kind of... I do kind of appreciate some of those aspects of his character. Like, I do think it's interesting to have a protagonist who is very cunning and very silver-tongued because those are typically villainous Mm -hmm. aspects. They're kind of feminized aspects Mm -hmm. as well, which, I mean, those things kind of go hand in hand. But, you know, think of characters who tend to get those monikers. Um, My thought goes to Loki from the Marvel Universe. Um, I don't know why that was my my first jump to. But is that similar to you? Is that how you read it as well? Yeah, like of, of him being... Kind just, of the, the cunning storyteller? Yeah, yes, absolutely. His specialties aren't the traditional male fantasy hero right. specialties. Like he's right. good at magic, mm. he's good at music, and mm. he's very charismatic, he's very cunning, and specifically like good at lying, good at performing, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, and I, I see what you mean about the coming of age story a little yeah. bit in a, in a fantasy setting and as well again going back to the beginning about the different the different caricatures in that he is telling his own story mm-hmm. from his perspective in in the future as the framework of the plot he's kind of the the wayward adventurer the the wise old man he's, yeah. he's kind of filling a lot of those gaps himself <laughs> he is. there yeah he he's is, a pretty definitely. pretty central character yeah it is interesting that he is telling his own story mm. i'm always interested in the mechanics of that within storytelling of, mm-hmm. of actually looking at what it means to be a storyteller we're both Hamilton fans. We can probably um, make that connection a little bit. Yeah. Maybe that's what it's really all about. About exactly that. Storytelling. Framing. Mm -hmm. About not the victor writes history because that's not quite what this is. But along those lines, you know. Yeah. And, you know, for better or for worse, what it means to tell your own story. Mm Because, like, in in some respects, there's something to be said for the agency that comes from being able to tell your own story. Mm -hmm. But also, as we have talked about to some length, what it means when you are wildly embellishing a story. And I don't, again, I have no idea of how much we are supposed to take him as an unreliable narrator. I have no idea how much he is embellishing stuff. Like I said, I I drew attention to parts where it does kind of seem to be very like, oh, Kavoth is the best ever at everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think I may have contradicted myself thinking back (laughs) on it because I called him both simple and earnest and cunning in silver tongue. I think he is perhaps cunning in silver tongue, yes, but as a function of his arrogance, I yes. think is what it is, which goes in hand with being simple and earnest. Yes. Uh, I think that's that's kind of my takeaway mm-hmm. from his character yeah. as a 13-year-old and as a 25-year-old yeah. recounting his story. Curious to see where it goes, and if we ever pick up. <laughs> yeah, if, if we ever pick up this, this as like a second one, my goal is not necessarily to do sequels necessarily, mm. but there, there may be something coming down the pipe. Coming down the in- pipeline. In regards to talking about the wise man's fear. Yeah, but, so stay um, sharp, listeners. Yeah, I am curious also just to see what you think of it in terms of as a fantasy novel. Like mm. it, it is in, in some ways very classic high fantasy, a bit of a subversion in some mm-hmm. ways. How does this compare to Game of Thrones and how does it compare to other mm. high fantasy stuff? Mm. He's definitely taken his liberties. Definitely taken yeah. his liberties. Which I think is great and refreshing. Mm. Admittedly, I have not read, surprise, surprise, uh, <laughs> the Game of Thrones series. Yes, we have uh, seen the show. I have, I have. 
stuff, which we won't get into, <laughs> but how to stand up. Well, <laughs> Game of Thrones has a lot of powerful, but not necessarily cruel female characters. Game yeah. of Thrones, I think, and I did not think that I would be complimenting George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> on his on... portrayal of women. Exactly, that's correct. But I mean, in, in comparison, yeah, the, the it women is rather in, stark. The women in Game of Thrones do definitely have more agency than, I don't know if agency is the right word, because Denna is definitely doing her own thing, mm. but she definitely feels a bit like a manic pixie dream girl. Definitely. She definitely feels like the prize to be won. Mm -hmm. She is not the protagonist, mm -hmm. and that's pretty clear. And neither are any of the other women, you know, mm -hmm. neither is Ori... That's kind of the only other important female character, isn't it? That's <laughs> I mean, that speaks for itself. I, I have to say, I'm glad that they didn't try to make the protagonist... Uh, well, maybe they did try to make the protagonist <laughs> a bit of a Mary Sue. I think that his arrogance betrays him, and yeah. I like that, personally. <laughs> That's fair enough. I, I was, find that a little relatable. I was definitely frustrated by the constant barrage of Kavoth is the best ever. Right. Especially for 700 pages. <laughs> Again... I appreciate the the emotional and intellectual labor that you I put in that. on our behalf. Thank you. The other question I just wanted to uh, to touch on is, do you think Kavoth has an arc in this book? Like, I described it earlier as a coming-of-age <laughs> right. story. Right. But I'm not sure that that's accurate. He's telling the story as a 25-year-old. Yeah, it's true. Has he come to age? Yeah. Really? Or... I don't know what the arc is. Is yeah. it uh, is it a return going to school? Is it a trying to hunt down these demons? Mm. If so, that's not particularly explicit. Yeah. There's romance sprinkled in here and there, and he slays a dragon. So mm. I think coming of age is probably the most accurate way that you could have does, put it. He does grow up. He, uh, well, time, time passes. I mean, slightly. He grows. <laughs> I don't know if he, he... physically grows. I don't know if he can be considered a, a, an adult at that point, though. Yes. I mean, yeah, to his credit, the man runs his own inn, so fair enough, but... <laughs> At the same time, it seems like he's got some maturing to do. Yes. And all of this taken with a grain of salt, of course, because the speaker currently is a 24-year-old man <laughs> and Kvothe is a 25-year-old man, right? So I'm really in no place to be calling him childish. That's yeah. where I'm at. As a 25-year-old, when he's telling the story, he's definitely a little bit more subdued, mm. but we don't get any of the information about the events that brought him mm -hmm. to that place. Mm -hmm. So that sort of wraps up our discussion about... There it, there it is. The name of the wind. First one done. Boom. Woo. There you go. First. <laughs> and I, I promise that for our next selection, I will choose something that is not quite as long. I'm saying this like it's happening in the future. <laughs> I've already picked and read the book that we will be reading next. For those wanting to read along at home, we will be reading The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemisin, which is also a high fantasy novel, but coming at it from a pretty different place. Folks, thank you so much for listening. This episode may have been a little on the longer side. The intent is for them to be perhaps not bite-sized, but easily swallowable and digestible yes. pieces of fiction for you to sink your teeth yeah. into if you want more of this which I <laughs> if you enjoyed you it if you enjoyed if you it enjoyed if you it. laughed along with us feel free to rate us on spotify itunes or however it is that you engage with your uh, podcasts tell uh, your friends that's right share the word spread the good news drop a like and subscribe and a comment below you know yada yada <laughs> if you want to hear more from me i'm aaron rockford i'm on twitter at pineapple fury fury is in the emotion and also the uh ancient Greek woman. <laughs> Alright, I'm just going to let that simmer. Just going to let that hang in the air. And I'm Matt Thomas, and you can't reach me. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you next time. We'll be back again with another exciting episode of the Brodacious Book Club. Adios!